everybody needs hope, right? Everybody needs something to hold on to, to attach themselves to, to keep life meaningful, to keep that hope alive, to always look forward to something. Hope's a good thing. In this Roman passage that we just read, that Mike just read for us, sometimes we lose, Mike can lose sight of hope when you think about that passage. Because sometimes we get bad news, sometimes we get good news. We've got to live with both. And sometimes when we get bad news, we get bogged down in the bad news, hope might be become invisible, might be pushed to the side. Then good news comes, and it revives that hope. But hope is always there. Hope never points because of the love of God that He pours out on all of us. The lesson this morning is not original with me. And that's a good thing because I'm not good at coming up with original sermons. But it's one from Evangelism University I've been holding on to, been wanting to talk about and teach. And it appeals to everybody in this room. Everybody. You might be the person sitting here who you, you, you have questions. You're searching and you're seeking trying to find some answers, trying to make a decision to follow Jesus. I think this lesson is going to help you. Or you might be the one who, you're a disciple of Jesus, but that flame inside is diminishing. It's going out. And I think this lesson will help you to add some fuel to that spiritual fire, if you will. You might be the one sitting there who is the flame is burning bright and you're ready to go. And you're always ready to go. You're living the faith. God bless you. Thank you for that influence. This lesson is going to help you too. Especially if you want to maybe talk to friends and family. So I think this lesson is going to help us all. And it's based off of one verse. One verse. So good morning everybody. Good morning. Thank you for visiting with us. If you are visiting, we're so glad to see you. And next Sunday, Lord willing, if you're visiting and looking for a home congregation, the real preacher will be back. I'm just a fill-in. I'm preacher junior. And so don't run off if you're thinking I'm the guy. I'm not the guy. Uh, Brother Tony's still on vacation. But good morning to everybody. Look at this question. If you just had one verse from the Bible that could explain every 66 books of the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, and explain God's message, the gospel of Jesus Christ, what's a verse you would choose? I'm curious. What? John 3.16 comes to mind, and that's a great verse. God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son. Whosoever believes in Him should not perish. It's a great verse. And you could use that. And you could. What's another verse? Romans 8.28, which states, All things work together for those who trust and believe in God. And you could that too. There's a lot of verses we can look at but this verse, to me, really exemplifies the entire gospel message. And again, 
I want to encourage you to write this down. And I meant to put some paper actually in the pew so you could take this and keep it in your Bible because this is something everybody can use. Again, if you're looking for answers, this is going to help you. If that flame is diminishing inside you, this is going to help you. And especially if you're a Christian and you're looking to share your faith, this verse is going to help you how it was presented. Here's the verse. Romans chapter 6 and verse 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift, and some translations put, the free gift of God is eternal life. So let's break this down and look at this. And whatever goes in this board, if you are keeping notes, keeping score, write it down just as you see. A lot of times when we look at life, we look at maybe sometimes Bible passages even, it's always in life. It's like in the weather forecast. It's sunny today, but it's going to storm tomorrow. I found $20, but the owner coming on it. Good news, or bad news uh, to good news. That's why I like this verse. It starts out with the bad news and goes into the good. But let's first begin with the bad news. Wages. What concept comes to mind when you hear the word or think about the word wages? You probably think about employer, an owner of a business who hires an employee, hires somebody, and they either agree on a wage, what's going to be paid, or know in advance what's going to be paid, and there's an agreement there. The employer is going to pay the employee a certain amount. Well, what does it mean to receive wages? Well, it means hopefully that you've earned that. When you work for someone and they pay you a wage, you've earned it. We can cheat that. We know that. But if you work for someone, they give you a paycheck, they give you money, hopefully you've earned it. You receive payment for work done. But what happens if you don't get paid for what you do? And maybe that's been your situation. You go and do a job, you do work. You earned it. You did the job. You did everything the boss said, but he or she does not pay you. Is that just? Is that right? I think we'd all agree, no, that's not right. If you've got agreed upon a payment and you work and you earn that wage, you should get it. And it wouldn't be right if you didn't get it. Put that little box on the side and write wages in that box. Of sin. The wages of sin. What does the word sin mean? What does it really mean? Well, the Greek word for sin is derived from another root word. And you guys know this. To miss the mark. That's what the word literally means. But it's actually deeper than that once you study it. Our modern society, modern Christianity, if I may, our Americanized way of religion has sort of watered down the true meaning of this word. 
We might say, well, since sin just means you missed the mark, that means you get chances over and over and over and over and over and over, and there's no consequences. But that's not, that's not this word in its context. The root word error means more than missing a bullseye. It means you missed the mark and you missed the prize. An example is a king in olden times might have had uh, going to battle, might have needed archers for the battle. And so he get all the archers of the army and they take their bows and arrows and whoever hit the marks, whoever was close enough, they were in the army. They went to fight. If you couldn't hit the mark, you were disqualified. That's the essence of the Greek word here for sin. The word denotes failure with consequences. The biblical sense of the word sin means that we break, or when we break, or ignore the commandments of God, we are missing the mark, and that comes with consequences. But who is a sinner? That's something we don't like to think about. I look at somebody else and say, man, you're really messing up. Sometimes it's hard for me to look in my own spiritual mirror and realize what I'm doing, where I'm at, where my heart is at. Isaiah chapter 64 and verse 6 makes this statement. For all of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like filthy garment, and all of us wither like a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, take us away. In this same letter, the letter of the Romans that Paul wrote, he said in chapter 3, verse 23, that all have fallen short of the glory of God. We all come up short of His glorious being. There's examples of sin. You want to take out your Bibles and turn me to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And read along with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. It's just a list of sins that Paul reveals. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning with verse 9, he says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, homosexuals, sodomites, Thieves, the covetous, the drunkards, the revilers, the extortioners, these will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, he does go on to say, and such were some of you, but you were washed, you were justified, you were sanctified. But that's a list of sins where there's no, there's no heaven involved. Revelation 21 and verse 8 adds the cowardly, liars, Colossians 3 talks about some of these sins. And Paul says, put them to death. Kill them. Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 21, talks about them as works of the flesh. That's sin. And none of us can say we've never sinned. At least those of us who are of an age and know what we're doing, know right from wrong, can say we have never sinned. What do you think God thinks? When we sin. But the wages of sin, that we just talked about, and I think we all agree, if you work for a wage and you earn it, it shouldn't be held back, right? 
the Bible clearly states we're all sinners. And we've earned a wage. And that wage is death. But what does it mean by death? Matter of fact, what comes to your mind when you think of death? Our church families had to deal with that. Three in the last week. What comes to your mind when you think about death? I'm talking about you personally. I'm not talking about somebody else. You personally. Do you fear dying? Or do you not fear dying? Are you ready to go right now? Or you're like, no, I can't go right now. I'm not ready. Where's your heart right now concerning death? Physically. But in this context, it's much more. It's so much more than physical death. Death in this context is in the spiritual death. Listen to these passages. You might write these down in your notes. Second Thessalonians in chapter 1, Paul writes to them and talks about how Jesus will be coming back uh, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who, who do not know God or, or, or do not obey God. Then he says in verse 9, These will pay the penalty of eternal destruction. Eternal destruction. Well, what's so bad? Is it the weeping and gnashing of teeth? Is it the, is it the darkness? I think it's much more than that. These will pay the penalty of, penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. It's a separation. Isaiah chapter 59, verse 1 and verse 2 states, Behold, the Lord's hand is not so short that it cannot save, nor is His ear so dull that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden His face from you so that He does not hear. It's a separation. Yeah, everything else about hell is going to be horrible. I understand, but knowing that I can't be in the presence of God, of the Lord. If you look at Luke chapter 16, and I don't think I'm taking it out of its context, when the rich man dies and Lazarus dies, and he's in torments, and he's struggling, he's in great torments, but one of the things I think that really torments him is he sees Father Abraham and Lazarus laying in the bosom of Father Abraham. Here's a Jew. Here's a rich man looking up, and Father Abraham, their hero, the one they traced back to their lineage. And he can't go to him. I and mean, also, he can't go to God. He's separated. Matter of fact, Luke 16 talks about this gulf, this expanse, and it's fixed. And there's no cross in it. So it's not just physically dying, it's being separated from God forever. That's bad news. There's nothing good about this situation. We're all sinners, and the wage that we've earned is separation from God. Now this is a cool word sometimes. We start with the bad news and what that but represents is good news. 
great news. The best news we will ever hear today and for the rest of our lives. It's good news. And part of that good news is this. There is a God. And we can spend the rest of our time, tonight, next Sunday, the next Sunday, the next Sunday, the next Sunday, on and on and on and on, literally giving evidence that there is a God. It's all around us. But who is God? God is eternal. Jesus said God is a spirit. John wrote about this extensively. God is love. God is grace. God is forgiving. God's also a righteous judge. And God's also a God of wrath. And a God who's going to take vengeance. He's all those things. That's not necessarily a characteristic. That's just who God is. He is God. But God is also a God that can take bad news and turn it into good news. Because God can give us gifts. Free gifts. What is a gift? If you buy yourself something, is that a gift? Some of the ladies are like, well, yeah, I thought it was. I don't know if that's a gift. Can you earn a gift? Well, if you earn a gift, is it really a gift? When does a gift become a gift? Let's see if we can illustrate this. Jeff, do you have me out? Now, some of these are out. I've got in here a list of our high schoolers, <laughs> excluding the freshmen, of course. Now, some of these are not here, though. So we've got seniors, juniors, and sophomores in here. Uh, just pick another. Maybe they're here. They're not. We'll pick another. All right, who is it? Okay? Pick out another. Taylor missed out. Okay. Yes, you can say that. Haley McCullough. Come on down. Haley. Now we're asking the question, when does a gift become a gift? She doesn't hate me. She hates me now. All right, Haley, I've got, this is a real gift. It's not an empty box, I promise. Now, when does this gift become a gift? So if I just give it to her, it's a gift? Does she have to accept it? For it to be a gift? Have you ever even thought about this? A gift really starts internally with who? The giver. That's when it becomes, if, if it's going to be a gift, then internally I want it to be a gift. I want to give it to somebody. But before it, to, for it though, become a true gift, it has to be accepted, right? But not necessarily. The gift comes internally from the giver. The person externally, they don't know if they're getting something or not, but they accept it. Haley, would you accept my gift? 
Thank you. All right, thank you. Now, that's a gift. Now, I think we all understand that. And there is something in it. Don't throw it away. There's something really in it. So when a gift becomes a gift, the motivation to give is internal in the giver, not external in the receiver. If something is given with a price, if I give Haley that gift, it's okay, that will be $20. And that's not a, there's not $20 in there, by the way. That's not a gift. That's not a gift. Now, in all seriousness, turn to Ephesians chapter 2. What we have earned, because we're sinners, is separation from God. But, God is giving us a free gift. And look at Ephesians chapter 2. If you would read along with me in verse 1 to verse 9. And it reads, And you He made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves, here we go, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others, just like everybody, but God who is rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, dead in our sins, missing the mark, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus that in the ages to come, He might show the exceeding riches of His grace in His kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, listen, and that not of yourself, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. What I've earned, since I'm a sinner, is spiritual death. But God, because He loves, through Jesus, has given me a gift. It's a free gift. We understand about obedience. When did that gift become a gift to Haley? When she what? Took it. But there is no gift to give. There is no gift to give. There is no gift to give unless God is willing to give it first. God is giving us a free gift. What's the cost? His Son. There is nothing I or you can do to merit salvation. If God doesn't offer me, if God doesn't offer you a free gift, we are dead. We're spiritually dead. What's the gift? Eternal life. Eternal life. I can't explain it. 
I'm not going to sit up here and patronize you and waste your time. It's forever. There's no clocks. Does that help? It's eternal. It's, for, it's, it's eternal. It's forever. Not separated from Him, but in His presence. Seeing the Lamb right there beside Him. The One who saves us from our sins. It's eternal. For always and forever in His presence. The wages of our sin is spiritual death. But God is giving us a free gift, eternal life. There's still a problem, isn't there? We're over here. God is over here. Can we jump? Will that be all right? I don't think so. If that were water, could we jump in and swim? Maybe not. Can we dig under and come over? No, I don't think that would work. Something's got to bridge that gap. We can't do anything to bridge that gap. If God doesn't build it, we can't cross it. If God doesn't build it and provide it, we can't get from this side to this side, but He has provided it. Through who? Christ Jesus, our Lord. Jesus. Think about Jesus the man. In John chapter 1, it says... um, talks about uh, in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. Then in verse 14, why does it state the Word became what? Flesh. God became a man. God incarnate in the flesh. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 and following talks about how Jesus it was in glory, was in heaven, but humbled Himself and took the form of a man. Jesus was human. He was a man. But He's also Lord. He is divine. If you ever read the Gospel of John, John makes that perfectly clear. That's his entire intent. That's his thesis. Jesus is God. Jesus is divine. And he records things that Jesus would say like, Like, before Abraham was, capital I, capital A, capital M, I am. Jesus is saying, I'm God. Jesus would say, I and the Father are one. Now, we're unified, hopefully, with the Lord. But that's not what Jesus was saying. He was saying, I am of God. I am God. Would you please turn with me to Colossians chapter 2? Colossians chapter 2. We're studying this on Wednesday night downstairs with the kids. Colossians chapter 2, beginning with verse 6. Which reads, As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. 
Then he says in verse 8, Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy, empty deceit, tradition of men, basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. Why? Verse 9, For in Him, in Jesus, dwells what? All the Godhead bodily. Whoever God is, Jesus embodies. The Bible makes it very clear, Jesus is God. Jesus Himself said, I'm God. I am divine. He was a man. He was a human. He's also divine. He's also the Christ. The word Christ, I'm sure many of you know, means the anointed one. The Hebrew equivalent is the Messiah. Meaning, there was a mission. Jesus as this man, but with full divinity, left glory, came to our earth, walked on it in this little area that he was in, lived, taught, died, was rose again, and ascended back to heaven. While he was here, he had a mission. We can simply summarize that. He came to seek and to save the lost. And that includes everybody in this room. That includes everybody outside these walls, going down the road, sitting in their house watching TV, or maybe in bed. Whoever it is, the mission of Jesus was to seek and save us and save us. There's one more thing here. We'll turn the lesson over to you. The wages of my sin, what I've earned is spiritual death, but God sees worth in us. And He's given us a gift. And if we accept that gift, we can live forever. Whatever eternity means in your mind, whatever eternal life is, it's ours. God's given it to us. Because he's bridged the gap through Jesus Christ the Lord. There's one final thing. It's all about, and it's always been about, Jesus. The bridge is about Jesus. The gap being fulfilled where we can go from sin and death into God and eternal life is through Jesus. It's in Him. It's about Him. There's also something else about that. You have to be in Jesus. That's a biblical concept that Paul writes about that a lot. Being in Jesus. Now, are you in Jesus? The Roman writer, again, Paul talks about it in Romans chapter 6, talks about being in Christ, being buried in baptism with Christ, putting Him on. Paul writes in Galatians about putting on Christ. You have to be in Christ. If you're in Christ, then God adds you to the church. Anything else outside of that, we're staying in this box. The wages of sin is death. The free gift of God is eternal life for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now you know where you stand.
Everybody knows where your heart is. Everybody knows where you're at right now spiritually. You know if you're in Jesus right now, if you believe Him, have faith in Him, are willing to do that 180 and have godly sorrow, meaning repentance, and to put on Christ in baptism. Have you, are you looking? Are you searching? Did this answer the questions? I hope it did. Or maybe you're the one who the flame's just not where it should be. It's about to die. It's going out. And you think it's going out, whether it's your conviction, whether it's your conscience. This something you want us to talk about, even pray about right now. Let's do it. But I hope this has refueled you. And for those of you who are the great influences for the rest of us, God bless you, Godspeed. Please keep on doing what you do. Even you may get tired sometimes. Even you might get drugged down into the world sometimes. The gospel is for all. The wages of sin is death. But God has given us a free gift. It's eternal life. If you have questions, if you're ready to make a commitment right now, let's talk about it. And come on down as we stand and sing.